Hidden in the depths of the mind is a secret tomb where knowledge, fear, mystery, and a macabre sense of enjoyment is held. Each corner is resplendent with its own curiosities, and each curiosity appeals to a different soul. You're listening to The Crypt of the Unknown, a podcast that discusses the realms of the horrific and the fantastic in print, games, or on the screen. And now, introducing you to the Guardians of the Crypt... Your tour guides, Hira Webb and Stefan J.D. Greetings, weary travelers, to the Crypt of the Unknown, a podcast that tackles the horrific and fantastic on all forms of media. I am Webb the Critical Android, and joining me for this podcast, well, we have two people joining, uh, and not counting myself, it's two people in addition to myself, for if that wasn't, you know, very clear, but of course we have Mr. Stefan J.D., Hello! Hi. Hi. How are you, my friend? <laughs> Tired. <laughs> it's okay. Hopefully what we have today will shock you awake, because we have a special guest with us. It's Zayr. Hello. Hello, Zayr. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Well, we seem to be doing pretty good, aside from Stefan's tiredness and me pointing to people as if they were actually there when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, I pointed... I realized I did this twice when I said Stefan JD and I'm pointing off to the corner off to the side like where the wall is and then I did it again when I said your name's there and it's like I don't know why I'm doing that it's a first of all <laughs> nobody's there and second it's an audio medium and not a visual <laughs> uh, well I actually set up dummies and just copied your guys' faces and put them on them but I thought we were all doing that my bad <laughs> I put a lot of work into this it's a lot of work. <laughs> Why? How creepy! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyway, we have us all together here, uh, even though we started off on a comical note, where in the lead-up to Halloween here, we decided to sit around the campfire and tell some stories. Uh, mostly, like, true, kind of horrifying, scary things that have happened to us that we felt were fun enough, I guess you could say, to share, or even if they're not fun, but just things that we don't mind telling to, like, bathe in the, the horror of real life that can happen. And I'll, I'll start off with, with one of mine, and we'll go around and talk about it. They could be paranormal in nature. They could be uh, things that are not paranormal. And this is a story I've told before uh, with different things, but I, I feel like it's important to tell. It didn't directly happen to myself. This actually happened to my one of my younger brothers, after my brother Alex, and it, it changed his view on a lot of things. So, just to keep the names different, I'm going to say that he has a friend named named Brian. And one day he was going over to Brian's house because uh, he's going to be spending spending a weekend over there. And during his time there, his it was the Friday night. It was a Friday afternoon into Friday evening, and both of his parents were working. So, while he was there. They gave instructions to Brian to go out and do a little bit of shopping for dinner that night. And Brian asks Alex if he wants to come along to do the shopping. And Alex decides, no, nah, I'm just going to stay here and just relax for a little bit. And he's like, all right, I'll be right back then. Just, you know, keep yourself company. So Alex is just laying out on the couch, kind of vegging out a little bit. 
not entirely nodding off, but he starts hearing these footsteps in the house. And he's the only one there, but they're coming from the second story. And he just kind of passes it off as he knows that older homes can creak and whatnot, so he tries not to give it too much mind. But then he starts hearing them again, and it seems like they're getting closer, which has him more concerned. And then as he's just sitting on the couch, he feels this voice in his ear say, What are you doing here? And his head just snaps up and he's looking around to see where the voice came from. And it was a very odd experience because it was not as if he could feel the pressure of like somebody speaking, but he still heard the voice in his ear. And he didn't know where it was coming from and it freaked him out, which obviously would freak out most people. And then later that night, during dinner, after everybody's come home, Brian's home, his parents are there, they're talking about how things went during the course of the day. And Brian says, well, you know, I went out for a while to pick up the stuff. Alex stayed here. And he says, oh, Alex, how did everything go? And he was debating on whether or not to say something. And he goes, well, I, I did hear some footsteps that were going on in the house. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, did anything else happen? And he said, well, to be honest with you, um, I, I heard a voice. And I go, oh, did the voice say something? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? And so, yeah, it said, it asked me, what am I doing here? And Brian's father's like, oh, that's just George. We've all heard him at some point. He seems harmless. And <laughs> Alex was taken aback at the nonchalant nature of this revelation about, quote unquote, George. Because that's one of those things where you tell somebody, you expect them to either think that you are crazy, or you expect kind of a more of a reaction. That, oh, okay. Mm. That's nice. Glad you got to meet George. So... As nonchalant as it was, apparently the entire family has experienced something with some sort of benign spectral entity, and they've um, they've come to accept it, and Alex asks them, well, do you ever think about having ghost hunters come in and like, try to do like an investigation? And they basically said, no, we, we really don't want people like you know coming through our home and doing this stuff, especially because if they do find something, or they detect something, what's going to stop them from trying to come back for future investigations? So we... You know, we just have kind of accepted it. It's it's not something that has ever remotely caused any kind of a problem. Otherwise, maybe we would consider something more. But for all intents and purposes, it's it's not something that's bothered us to the point of being that concerned. And ever since then, Alex has been far more interested in things like ghost hunting and those kind of like ghost trips that people will go on to old places and old buildings to see if they can detect anything. But... That was an experience that he told me about quite a few years ago now. And it was something that kind of rattled him to his core and shaped the way that he looks at things that could possibly be paranormal to this day. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's pretty interesting. I thought it was interesting. Like I said, I haven't seen anything myself, but for having... And Alex is the kind of person I would not doubt that he's you know, lying about this or anything. If he says that he heard something, I fully believe that he heard something. So, yeah, that's that's his brush with things. Zara, you got a story for us? Um, yeah. Yeah, this this one's I guess more personal cuz it happened to me and there were there were other people there, of course. And I guess it's I don't know if it if it's magical thinking cuz it could be, but I really I like to think of it as as one of those experiences that uh, you know, paranormal experiences for sure. And it was when an aunt that I was close to 
died yeah, a few years ago, and I was really close with her. I had lived with her for for a number of years when I was going to school. I don't know, we became really close, so I don't know, we used to call each other the, the Gilmore Girls, and I don't know, it was just really kind of a sweet friendship that I ended up have, having with this aunt. Uh, I still miss her. But um, everything went well for the funeral, except for, for whatever reason, there was a situation where she couldn't be buried the day of the funeral. She had to be buried the day after. So we had to go back to the funeral home and I was like, no, I need to see this through. I need to make sure that everything goes well. So myself and a friend of mine drove to the, the cemetery and then my uh, one of my uncles and one of my cousins met us there and there were a few funeral like directors and some cemetery people around as well so they go and they take the, the casket out and everything seems to be going going well and all of a sudden myself and my friend we get this whiff of I, I guess kind of pungent like cigarette smoke it was as if somebody was smoking at the cemetery which that's not allowed and there was there were people around but no one was smoking at the cemetery and um my my aunt happened to be a kind of a chain smoker so i 100 percent believe that that was her at her own at the cemetery that day just kind of like watching over everything and just saying that she was there i guess it kind of freaked out my friend a bit because um He's a non-believer of these things, but um, 100% I believe it was her. I mean, the logical part of me thinks like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe she was wearing clothes that had cigarette smoke, but she she wasn't. She was wearing brand new clothes. And so I, I know for sure that was just, that was her and she was there. So that's my paranormal story. That's sweet. A kind of a, I don't want to say morbid way, but obviously anything that involves passing of somebody has a, has a degree of morbidity to it and just the, the nature of it, but that's that's sad and sweet at the same time. Yeah. Kind of nice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, and then sometimes you know, over the years I've, I smell like I don't smoke and I don't surround myself with people who smoke, but you know, there are some times where I, I, um, I smell cigarette smoke or I was working at places and people would say, oh, you know, like this chair smells like cigarette smoke and I had been in that room for several hours or something like that and I was like, okay, well, she's just visiting. That's cool. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It is. Now, Stefan, what do you have for us then? Well, I kind of have two stories, but I'll just... Uh, maybe I'll just say one of them. So my um, nana, my grandma, her and my grandfather would, like, go to different houses every couple of years. They would just... <laughs> For whatever reason, wherever my grandpa's work took them, they would find a new house and they would move into it. Um, so they'd be constantly moving into these big houses because my grandpa, he basically built dams. He was like the guy you called and it's like, hey, you do the math on this. And he'll be like, sure, give me five minutes. And so they were building dams all over the country. And, you know, I obviously had a lot of fun going there and being like, hey, grandpa, is that a damn hat? Are those damn trucks? Is that... <laughs> Are those damn shoes? Did they did they wear those damn shoes to the damn, damn? You know, <laughs> just he would just shake his head because he hated it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so they they eventually found this place when I was around. I want to say six or seven. It's a place called Forest Falls. I can't I can't remember where it's at. Someone can look it up. But 
It was basically really just a house. You'd go up the steep hills on the side of a mountain, lots of trees everywhere, and it was always raining. And it was in this little uh, area between, like, in the indent of a mountain. There's nothing over it, of course, but, like, the the walls of the mountain would surround it. And there was the house to the uh, mountain in the back. There was the um, ranch. They had, like, horses, the horse pens and everything, and chickens. And uh, it was a three-story house. Um, I say three stories, but the third floor was actually just one room. And I'd never been up there before. In fact, I'd only been to Forest Falls where they lived once. When I went there, the one time I stayed there, because, again, they moved around a lot, my grandma went up to the third floor. It was just this, you know, stairwell that, like, tur- you go up three steps and turned around, go up another three, and you were up there on the third floor, basically, one room. Almost like an attic room. But uh, they furnished it, of course. And um, so, yeah, she went up there and she opened the window. She said, oh, I need to let some air in, you know, let the house breathe because it's raining outside or it just rained. And so she said, you know, I was like, can I go up there? And I'm like 10 years old. She's like, yeah, of course. So I went up there and, you know, I'm hopping up the stairs all happy. And I opened the door and the wind I see. The first thing I see when you open the door is the actual window blowing air in. And the curtains flowing and as you open it more you see a chair and on on the chair was a dummy doll and i immediately just stopped <laughs> because i'd never seen a dummy doll before in my life and it was just obviously staring right at me and it was on the edge of the chair just sitting there and i was so freaked out by it that i just closed the door and decided not to go in the room and as I turned around to go down the stairs, I heard a noise. And even at 10 years old, I told myself, well, like, it's not a, it's nothing, you know, it's not a big deal. So I opened the door, and the dummy had fallen on the floor. And I was like, oh, okay, well, it must have been pushed over by, obviously, the window being open. That makes total sense, even to a 10-year-old. <laughs> so I started to close the door again, and then I heard a ruffling on the carpet in the room and I half expected something to happen and I just stood there for the longest time with my hand on the door handle just waiting for something to happen my heart was beating really fast palpitating like crazy and I opened the door again and the dummy I'm 100% sure about this was three feet closer to me but it was on its back and its head was looking at me still And I closed the door, because at that point I just couldn't take it anymore. I closed the door and I went downstairs, and I tried to forget about it. Of course, that whole night, it was hard for me to sleep. I probably didn't go to bed till at least 1 or 2 in the morning, because I was just sitting there with my on the bed, looking at the shadows, waiting for something to move. So I expected the dummy, you know, something to happen. And by morning, I asked my grandma, I was like... You know, I worked it up. I said, so what What was that doll in the room upstairs on the third floor? She's like, oh, you mean the dummy? Uh, I forget. His, she said, like, Trevor or something. The dummy Trevor. It was like Ted or Trevor or something. But I, I was like, what was that? And she said, what do you mean? She's like, my friend Cheryl picked that up two months ago. And we went back up to the third floor and nothing was there. That's the end of my story. Well, that's creepy. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. There's one very good reason why I don't own any ventriloquist dummies. Yep. And uh, I, I've asked her about it so many times over the years. I said, so does Cheryl still have that dummy? She's like, no, she doesn't know what happened to it. <laughs> does, uh, does Cheryl meet regularly with her coven? <laughs> I think she might have passed away at this point. But she, what, they were friends for a very long time. Did you ever hear her say the uh, the phrase "Ade due Dembala"? Give me the power, I beg of you. Child's play reference for those who don't get that one. Because uh, <laughs> if that soul wound up in the dummy, I mean, wow. Yeah, so that's my story. <laughs> well, good one. Yeah, I have another odd story. It's not so much creepy as it is something unexplained. So I have another younger brother. His name is Adam, and Adam is very much a He's very much a skeptical non-believer in things. He considers himself more of an atheist than an agnostic um, because he doesn't feel there's any scientific proof of the unknown, but he leaves himself open to the idea that it could happen. But for all intents and purposes, he doesn't believe in things like that. But there has been one occasion in his life where he cannot explain something that happened to him, and this happened when he was younger. Now... The details of it, I can't remember exactly, because I don't remember how young it was, but he had to have been probably around maybe like 9 or 10. And at the time, we were living in basically what was like an old farmhouse where a major road had been built around it, and there was a, a large intersection that had grown to have like a you know, a gas station, a, a restaurant. It was, it was started to become like a, a very busy area with like a markets on every one of the corners. There was, like like I said, a gas station, a truck stop, um, a steakhouse. So it was a pretty populated area. It's just that this old farmhouse and barn that had been there had been there for a while, and, you know, it, the company that owned the, the land had rent, it was using that place for a rental property. So we'd lived there for several years. And there was one time where Adam had been riding his bicycle, and he biked a little bit down the road to the gas station where I guess he wanted to pick up, like, a candy bar or something. And he distinctly remembers that he was riding his bike out of the kind of like a, whatever you could consider a parking lot for the, for the gas station. You know, it, gas stations don't so much have a parking lot as they have a couple places you can park at and then drive out. So... Mm-hmm. He was there, and he was going out, getting ready to bike into the road, when a large truck was going down the road, and it's coming barreling at him. And as he describes it, he says that he saw himself right in front of the truck, coming straight at him, going, you know, like uh, 40 or 50 miles an hour, because it had gotten the green light and hadn't stopped at the green light so was able to go through it without stopping from where it was. So it's going at, at full speed for that area and he sees the truck coming at him and before it can hit him suddenly he finds himself back in the middle of the parking lot with his bike and he does not know how he got there. Wow, that's... Yeah. And I asked hmm. him, like, are you sure that this wasn't just some sort of because it happened longer to you as a kid. Are you sure you're not just, you know, not remembering it properly? And he said to me that it was so real 
that he remembers it to this day. He doesn't know how he could ever remember it differently than what happened. He saw himself, he was in the road, and he knows that he, he moved, like he was going into the road, all of a sudden only to find himself back in the, not, not again, not the parking lot, but back in the middle of the, the part of the, the driveway of sorts for that gas station where a car would normally pull out to exit from. But he found himself right back there and not in the path of the truck along with his bicycle. And he cannot explain it for the life of him what happened. I have heard multiple different accounts of this from people online because I want to look things up. Some people have reported things like they call them teleportation incidents. Uh, another per- Other people describe it as like a guardian angel moving somebody from one location to another. However you want to put it, as completely unrealistic or as illogical as it seems, that is the one story or the one incident that occurred or happened to Adam that despite his scientific-minded reasoning and logic about things, he has no rational explanation for how it happened. Wow, that's like uh, some Stephen King stuff right there. I know, in, in many ways. Now, if we just buried him out in the pet cemetery back in the outback, if that had happened, then we really would have had a <laughs> Stephen King story. <laughs> wow. Uh, some things, uh, uh, sometimes, dead is better. This is true. Uh, Zare, you got another one? Yeah, but, wow, that's a... I don't even know how you would explain that. I don't know either. Hmm. I mean, the obvious explanation is that he is not remembering it properly because memory is a very fallible thing. But outside of that, uh, a very vivid, vivid hallucination that he could have had as a child of him imagining what would have happened if he had pulled out in front of the truck and it's just stuck with him instead of being a, a vision he actually thought it happened. Uh, so I mean, those are the, the rational explanations for it in terms of uh, a scientific plausibility. But again, he he doesn't seem to recall it that way. But that's where, you know, when we, we talk about incidents of the paranormal, where things come down to your interpretation of how, how you view the world and religious principle and faith. You don't necessarily deny the fact that it could have been scientific or or based in principles that we know today. But if you choose to interpret it as something that was supernatural in nature, then there's nothing to say that you shouldn't be allowed to have your own interpretation of things. Again, too, there's a lot of things that are unexplained even in the human mind, so you know, you gotta take a story at point blank sometimes, especially if someone's being very serious about it. You know, there's there's definitely no judgment here. If he really felt that happened to him, I 100% believe him. I believe him too, and uh, believing that something happened to a person versus the scientific principles behind it, I again, if you feel a person's being truthful about something, then it's something to just consider, like, what could have happened. Like, even the story you told earlier, Zaire, is it possible that smoke drifted in from the wind from somewhere? Scientifically, mm-hmm. it's, it's possible, but is it likely based off the circumstances that happened and how you described it? It doesn't certainly doesn't seem likely. So you have to place, you know, you place your faith in one thing or the other. Do you place it in happenstance in, in terms of, like, something logically, rationally, reasonably, through scientific principle happened, or is it something that is more miraculous in nature? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. 
Interesting. What's your second story? Well, yeah, basically all my stories kind of uh, revolve around death. And there are reasons for this. I don't seek it out, um, but I work in the death care industry. Mm. So some of my stories might involve, you know, cemeteries or funeral homes. Do you suppose it would would be a good idea if you guys... I, I don't know, in the death care industry, I just want like a funeral home or something to have like the slogan of Park and Anderson Funeral Home. Don't fear the reaper. Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> Shoot that down quickly, why don't you? <laughs> no. So, so many reasons um, why that would be a real huge problem and uh, ethical violations and people losing their uh, mortician licenses. Like, it would be a problem. I don't understand what, what's so problematic mm-hmm. with Park and Anderson. Oh, no, just so many things. <laughs> just that would be <laughs> just like call it funeral and sons. That would be terrible. <laughs> funeral and sons. <laughs> or like instead of mortician, I'm actually referred to as Doctor Death. But you, I guess you can call me mortician if you'd like. You know, we would get in so much, um, so many ethical violations for. Oh, okay, How, what about this, Park and Anderson? Park and Anderson, we're dying to do business with you. No. Okay. <laughs> no. These are suggestions. <laughs> but, uh, okay, no. okay, I got it, I got it, I got it. Park and Anderson, we're not dying, we're just having a coffin fit. No. <laughs> How many of these do you have? I could probably think of a lot more if you give me enough time. No. Okay. I mean, your free time, feel free, but no. <laughs> okay, well, let's just continue with the with the podcast and the people are listening to and quickly turning off as I don't stop talking. <laughs> I can't believe that you've come up with so many already, but um, yeah, I was just going to say to that note, I have to be careful because of like ethical stuff. But I mean, this is my perspective on things, so that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from that any other place um, or a professional place here this is more of a you know spooky story situation so I, I've worked at many places but uh, one of the places that I, I worked at uh, years ago was just like an independent sanctuary and where in in one of my hometowns I guess I would call call that place and what was so strange was um, every day my my job one of my jobs was to vacuum the whole entire like par- like all the parlors and like the living room areas and things like that and and I would be fine and everything was good and but there was this one occasion where I was cleaning cleaning some uh, va- like vacuuming and then doing some dusting and, and whatever I guess and there there's a chapel also in the, in the same kind of right right off the foyer I guess I would say of, of the um, of the mortuary and there happened to be a gentleman in a suit that looked like our uniform that we had that was sitting in one of the the chairs in the chapel like not the pew but there was a chair kind of close to the pews that sometimes the clergy uh, members would sit in and he was just sitting down and so and I just kind of got a glimpse out of the corner of my eye but I then come to to find out that 
I was the only one on that floor because all of my other coworkers were upstairs having coffee in the in the coffee room our coffee lounge I guess and then kind of because I had a, a description of him I found out later that the description that that I I had or I I gave was the was the um, I guess not the original owner of the mortuary, but the owner's son, who had died. Okay. And I really feel like he was just sort of um, hanging out there, and it was just I don't know. I I don't I it wasn't ominous or anything like that, but I just thought that was interesting that just sometimes you I don't know. There's that idea of, of getting like a glimpse out of the corner of your eye and then looking and not seeing someone, but. You you did in your like I guess your periphery see someone? Yeah. Yeah. Just it's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, so like a chapel, like was it is it how it it should look where somebody basically goes to sit and either pray or confess or something? Just to you know, like be around God, basically. Yeah, kind of. I, and the chapel was usually used for services, so usually there would be like a casket at the front of the chapel, mm-hmm. and then the pews are just kind of in behind that, and then there were the the clergy chairs that were right before the pews. Oh, okay. That's the. If that makes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, normally no one usually sat in the clergy chair unless it was there was a service and it was a clergy member. So. Especially, I think it was like kind of early in the morning. Yeah, I don't know what what ended up happening there. But for me, I 100% like you know I I know I know what I saw. I just thought it was interesting that um, that person happened to be wearing kind of the same uniform that we were wearing because I guess he had worked that Crazy. long and yeah. Now, those kind of sightings you hear about them frequently, where a person kind of returns or hangs around a place where they've been seen. And I've heard theories about people saying that they're not so much ghosts that they are some sort of how like emotional or mental echo of sorts where somebody has kind of left a residual imprint on an area uh, and that sometimes those things still reverberate. And other people just say it's straight, straight up a ghost you know, a spirit still lingering that hasn't moved on. Uh, because depending on your definition or your belief in the afterlife, there are theories that uh, the dead don't ascend to heaven until after after the, the rapture happens, and so that the dead are not actually watching over us, but are actually waiting to be risen. And then you have other interpretations where the dead are already in the afterlife, regardless of events that are yet to take place for the end of days. So when you have different interpretations like that, naturally it lends to different stories about ghosts. Piggyback off of that quickly before, uh, Stefan, before you tell another story, there was something that happened in a hotel that I worked for. The hotel was family-owned and had multiple different avenues of it. It had a actual site for for people staying in like the their inn, and then they also had a banquet hall that was in a completely separate building on the property. And they also had a like a business building where they did like a lot of the back end work for receipts and accounting and all that stuff. And in the banquet hall, they they had a psychic who was staying with them and the psychic was getting they they were getting their very strong impressions about the place. And the 
one of the owners of the place, Frank, was showing the psychic around. It's like, yeah, you know, if you pick up anything, let me know. And they're at the yeah, they're at the banquet hall and they're at the the bar area of it. And while they're there, the psychic says, "I I see somebody at the end of the bar." And Frank, you know, looks at the psychic and's like, "Like, who are you talking about?" And she says, "There, I see a gentleman, and he's at the end of the bar." And he's not sitting on the stool. He's standing with one foot on the stool. And he's very busy looking at something. And Frank's jaw dropped because the person who she was describing was a relative of Frank's. I can't remember which one of his relatives it was. But every night that they were open... That's a place he would be at the end of the bar, foot up on the stool, looking over the night's receipts and trying to add them up. So that sent like this just jolt through him because that was exactly the pose that he was always in. One foot up on the stool, looking over over the receipts at the end of the bar every single night. Wow, those unexplained things. Yeah, that's creepy. Stefan, what else do you have? What other stories you got? I don't know why that reminded me of Poltergeist when she's like, this house is clear. <laughs> <laughs> What's a campfire story without a reference to Zelda Rubenstein? <laughs> right. They should have they gave her her own movie. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> they should have. <laughs> uh, not that outside of that first one, which I still, even as adult, uh, 100% say it happened... I'll never not say that didn't happen to me, but I'm not 100% sure on if I was just, if it was just my imagination or something. Again, I was very young, but it's hard to explain. But basically in my house where my bed was, it faced outward into the hall of uh, the hallway to my house. And across from it was um, just cabinets with, uh, you know, like uh, blankets and stuff in it. And then like right next to the cabinets, I could kind of see my parents uh, bedroom door and then around the corner like directly around the corner was my sister's room right next to mine so we were all very closely linked for whatever reason that night my door I woke up my door was open usually it's always closed it was open for some reason and I again I don't know if I was it's just my imagination or something but it was like light was there standing there in the hallway but not like like, if light had been coming in my blinds and shown into the hallway, it would have hit the wall. So it was like light illuminating in a presence, it felt like. And I thought I saw it there for a second, and it was so immediate that I just pulled the covers over myself. And again, I couldn't tell if it was my imagination, but I just kept feeling like the covers were moving, but I couldn't tell if it was just me shaking trying to be still or if it was actually the covers moving and to this day it's still I've, I've never I never again saw anything else in the house but that that moment for whatever reason felt real and I've always remembered it since then so you know not not too long a story but that's that's the only other time I can remember where I've seen something that I honestly believe was wasn't 100% my imagination. It could have been, but it didn't feel like it. Hmm. Huh. That's a little creepy. 
It was. It was. It was definitely in the form of a human being, and it felt like it was, like it, it had its hand on the uh, doorway there. It was like peering into my room. Oh man. Yeah. So it was creepy. Well, that's reason enough to burn down the house and get out of it. <laughs> I've actually always said to myself, if I could afford it, I might buy my old family home at some point. But now that I'm thinking about it, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I don't have, like, in terms of paranormal stories happening to myself or people I know, I mean, as I mentioned, there have been other reports of hauntings at the, the hotel that I had worked for. I'll tell you another one uh, that happened, and I, I, this was reported to me on several occasions, where there was another hotel that I worked for, not a family-owned one, this was more of a, a big company, a corporate one, and we had a lot of clients come into that hotel because it was also associated with a casino. And there were a lot of clients, clientele that we had from different Asian countries, Vietnam, China, Korea, but a lot from Vietnam. Because uh, gambling is uh, a large part of some Asian cultures, they would stay with us and then you know, go to the casino. And so we had a large Asian clientele base. And I remember looking through, when I was working in another department, I was trying to help a client get a room. And they had already stayed previously, and I was looking through their, their reservation history to try to, you know, find out what room they preferred, things like that, try to accommodate. And I noticed in the notes on the reservation, somebody had put something there about how the client had called down the, to the front office, the front desk, stating that a ghost had come through the door of the hotel room, screamed at them, and then faded back out through the door, moving backwards like it was trying to charge them and then retreated. And it's like, well, that's a little odd thing to put on the notes of reservation. So I think I call up the front desk myself and ask for the, the manager. And it's like, hey, David, hey, it's me over in the uh, over in the, the credit team here. Uh, do you mind checking on the notes on a reservation for one of the rooms here? Because uh, so it seems a little weird with this. And so I read him off the... Uh, he looks at it and it's like, oh. 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 That's not the <laughs> first time I've seen this. What? And he said, this is, this is not the first time I've seen this. And he gives me a bit more detail and I, I didn't know how serious to take it. And then I start working at that hotel, moving over from one department to another. And... Sure enough, one day I get a client come up to me, an, an Asian client, and says that you know they can't stay in that room, and it's a different client than the one who I had uh, looked at the reservation for before, and they tell me pretty much the same exact story, that a ghost had come through the door of the room, like screaming at them, and then retreated back, and I, okay, this is just, this is just bizarre. I'll get you another room, okay? I'll just... I will get you another room. So, it is, it's just very peculiar that different people would report a similar circumstance, almost pretty much an identical circumstance, happening within the same area of the hotel. And obviously the logical explanation could be that it's some sort of a cultural superstition because it was just Asian guests that were reporting this. Or maybe... I don't know if... Can ghosts be racist? I suspect it's a possibility. 
because the only other thing I can think of is there's, this, uh, there's a dead person there who's very angry at Asians and just decides to spend its afterlife, like, screaming at them and charging through doors. I, I, I don't know, but in, in all seriousness, I'd, I'd received multiple reports from some of our Asian guests about a similar haunting experience, and it, it was it was just strange. I don't have any explanation for it. I know I've read of one occurrence kind of like that, and this might be the reason, maybe. Uh, well, I guess this is different people, but I read an occurrence once where uh, there was this abandoned circus, and there was a, you know, a homeless man had taken residence there, but these, you know, people were coming there to film it, and they, he said that it was haunted, and of course they stayed the night there. Um, they heard like a couple banging noises, but they weren't sure if it was him or not. He said he'd been asleep all night. But uh, one of the guys who was there recording, there was like three of them. There's uh, two women and then like somebody else, an older man. But one of the guys said that after they left there and did their investigation, that when he went back home, whatever it was, must have followed him home because ever since then, and they had to move, they heard banging in their house. So I don't know if it's like a, a ghost that travels with people, maybe. It could be a possibility. I, apparently, that's a thing, too. I've heard stories about ghosts following people, like latching onto a family instead of a home. And I've heard that, you know, if that happens, you're supposed to cross a body of water to, like, move to another location because the water is supposed to be, uh, like, a cleansing agent. Uh, at least that's what I've heard. I don't know if you guys have heard anything similar to that. I've heard of saging a place. Like, I actually... Mm-hmm. Had to sage uh, sage one of my coworkers' houses at one point because a, a ghost seemed to be following his wife. It well, was, way to uh, bury the freaking lead there, Zare. <laughs> strange situation, but uh, the ghost seemed very protective of her, and yeah, but she was like getting to getting to be kind of afraid of mirrors and and just you know because of and and it was it was but it was um kind of protective of her and kind of also protective of her brother so she thought it might be one of her family members that had died so yeah so i had to we we staged the place Uh, apparently it helped but then they they ended up moving anyway and uh but the ghost didn't follow them so yeah that's that's actually a really good thing um my roommate who is native american she actually, every time we would move somewhere new, she would always burn sage and, you know, like, bless all the doors and all that. And even in their culture, you can't... It's, she's Navajo. Even in their culture, you can't whistle at night because apparently whistling at night is calling upon the spirits to come to your home. I did not know that. Yeah, so I guess it's a thing. Sage really is supposed to protect you and cleanse your household. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little concerned over the fact that, you know, we went into this podcast saying that we were going to say, you know, talk about scary stories, and then the story about the the mild exorcism that was performed in the home is ta- told as like a tangent to the to the main stories. <laughs> feel feel like that would just take a precedence. My favorite part about that story was <laughs> was that um, the uh, my coworker he did not believe in any of this at all and was so upset about the sage. And then he just kept on being like, <laughs> being like, I feel like Bob Marley because like the whole you know like he just he felt like it was um you know because sage is very kind of also pungent I guess I would say, and he's just getting. <laughs> 
getting a little concerned about the, the smell in his his house. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, but I can't I can't help it. I'm trying to make sure that you know your wife is not not scared for her life. <laughs> like they're turning into hippies with the incense. Yeah, exactly. It's a little concerning. Yeah. If anybody's a South Park fan, all you need to do is play Slayer at the same time that you're turning into a hippie, and it should cure the problem. Yeah, just a mild exorcism story to toss out there. Yeah, that's you know, nothing. It's not so much an exorcism story. It's not like she was possessed or her her uh, brother was possessed. It's more like the house was, you know, just. Um, or some something in the house was like manifesting and kind of you know hanging out. Well, yeah. Uh, as long as nobody is saying Carol Ann every thirty seconds, I think you're better off with the ghost. I don't know. Oh God, Poltergeist <laughs> three. Jeez. Yep. That's even that's in some ways the the making of the film uh, that that existed. Well, I mean, there's cursed movie. They say there's cursed movie franchises and. Poltergeist being one of them for what happened to uh, the actress who played Carol Ann, who you know, te- died terribly. I believe it was uh, oh god, I can't remember what it was. It was some sort of a, a stomach ailment. I can't remember if it was an infection or like something that involved puncture in in like the small intestine. I'm checking it right now. Uh, Heather O'Rourke was the actress who played Carol Ann Freeling in the Poltergeist films. And her death was attributed to... Oh, here we go. On July 31st, 1988, O'Rourke began exhibiting flu-like symptoms. Uh, Mind you, I'm reading this from Wikipedia. The following morning, she collapsed in her home and was rushed to community hospital in El El Cajon. En route, she suffered cardiac arrest, but paramedics were able to restart her heart at 925. Uh, She was subsequently flown to the Children's Hospital of San Diego, where it was discovered she had intestinal stenosis and went into emergency surgery. Uh, stenosis of the intestines is an abnormal narrowing um, of part of the structure that can obviously cause obstructions, and that that's what happened there. She went into emergency mm-hmm. surgery and survived, but she suffered enough of the cardiac arrest while being transferred to the recovery room. And unfortunately, she did not survive that. So her cause of death was registered as congenital stenosis, congenital referring to a, uh, a birth defect or a genetic disorder that was, uh, or a part of that that was coming from birth. Not necessarily mm-hmm. completely genetic, but something that stemmed from, from birth. Uh, so congenital stenosis complicated by septic shock, which if anybody knows what septic shock is, is basically when an infection gets into the blood itself as opposed to just an area and creates a an even larger problem that could be so hard to bounce back from. So there's allegedly a curse over the Poltergeist franchise that has lingered to this day, and they say it's because they use real skeletons in the uh, in one of the scenes in the first movie, where mm-hmm. like the the bodies are rising out of the out of the ground because as they Craig T. Nelson famously shouts. At the the housing director guy, it's like you move. He's like you move the headstones. You didn't move the bodies, and you only moved the headstones. Yeah, it's supposed to be on native land as well. Yep, that's where that horror trope of the like ancient Native American burial ground comes into play, and they use it quite effectively in that film. But speaking of like multiple post- poltergeist references, from Zelda Rubenstein to 
Carol Ann and Poltergeist 3 being shouted out. It's just, uh, it's sad when things like that suddenly happen and people try to draw connections to other things that occur uh, when that when that stuff happens, but really it's just terrible, terrible coincidences. Yep, that's definitely it. Uh, they said that on The Exorcist as well. They said that on The Crow, that some sort of uh, death was always looming over the Bruce Lee family. And lots of lots of things, lots of movies, lots of places that people have thought that, that it was paranormal when clearly it's just, you know, something happened. And it was out of anyone's hands and didn't specifically have to be <laughs> altered to fit a narrative. Does anybody else have any creepy stories of things that have happened to them or loved ones involving the paranormal? I can't think of any. Sarah, do you have anything else tucked up your sleeve like another exorcism story? Okay, again, it wasn't so much an exorcism, it was just more of, like, making sure that that place was okay. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know, I guess I have have a few, but... Well, tell us at least one more. Okay, this again happened a few years ago, and I was in a, sleeping in a, in a room I don't normally sleep in. And just, like, you know, I, I don't know, it was just kind of a stressful sort of week, I guess. Anyway, I feel like I was, like, I was asleep, and the door, like, I, and I don't know if I was half asleep, and I was just imagining everything, kind of like what uh, Stefan was saying in one of his last stories, but for sure I remember that the door opened, and I thought somebody came in to the room, and then decided to kind of lay down next to me, and... Anyway, there was no one. No one was there. And I was there by myself. I was alone in the house. So, I don't know. I can't really explain that. Other than just maybe saying, okay, that might be sleep paralysis. It is. I I do know from people reporting stories online that oftentimes with incidences of sleep paralysis, people report seeing the presence of a shadow like a, a human shadow or a shadow man as they describe it um, in the vicinity sometimes it's benign just walking around and wandering other times it's approaching them it's unusual that this is a phenomenon that's shared across people I've never right. had a report of I've never had sleep paralysis happen to me so I, I've never experienced that and I've never seen anything like it before but I, I, I don't know. It's it's definitely a phenomenon that's been reported across time and place with people in terms of, you know, it's been reported for years, and it's not just, like, isolated to one culture. So clearly this is something that transcends time and location. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think uh, many of the actual um, Mothman prophecies were actually a lot of people suffering from sleep paralysis, and, you know, that, that theory of what that was looking like a moth and everything the looming uh, light and fixating on the shadows and making it look like a moth as they say a moth man a lot of it was caused by sleep paralysis a lot of it has been debunked but some of it hasn't and so that could also be part of that equation yeah it's interesting that you bring that the mothman uh, stuff up so until recently until recent events every year <laughs> For some reason or another, I ended up in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and um, oh. the, the Mothman stuff happened. 
Mm-hmm. And it is a very interesting place, and I suggest everybody go out there to to visit at least once, because there's there's way more to to it than you know just the Richard Gere Laura Linney movie, mm-hmm. or the Mothman prophecy book, which is you know really interesting. But some of the like eyewitness reporting and the reporters that were like living in the town, and then the people that were actually there that live in the town, that very interesting stuff. They even have a, a museum, they have the Mothman Museum. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, and, and a Mothman statue, which is really interesting too. So, and a haunted hotel. They have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll hail the Mothman. <laughs> I, don't, I don't live or work there or anything, but just kind of an amazing place to, to go. I think I that's kind of what I really enjoy about kind of Americana stuff. Is just that it seems that every state seems to have like an interesting haunted past. Yeah. Like if you if you look into it and that's something that you you're interested in, it's uh, really interesting to to um, talk to people and look at the folklore of of places. And then you get the terrifying folklore of the the jackalope, part jackrabbit, part antelope. Mm Mm-hmm parts of America, kind of like Texas down south where they talk about oh. this, the alleged jackalope and that's why there's uh, an episode of Frasier where they, they make a reference to that and they're mm. talking about how they should have brought this like, jackalope to the Antiques Roadshow like a stuffed jackalope and oh veneer yeah and uh, the character of Niall says ah the jackalope Texas's answer to the minotaur and it's mm-hmm. There's so much truth to that when you look at like Greek mythology and things that they talk about, like the the chimera or or the um, the manticore or these other mystical beasts that have like the tail of a snake and the head of a lion and the wings of an eagle, and we have a jackrabbit crossed with an antelope. <laughs> kind of kind of doesn't quite hold up when you compare it to other things, but. Uh, but then there is in in Native American, like tr- if you look at true America, Native American folklore, you also have things like the Wendigo, which is not just Native like American in terms of like America, but in Canadian folklore as well, since we have Native American tribes that cross Canada into America, and the Wendigo that's legitimately creepy folklore there about largely stemming from the ideas of consumption and greed and the corrupting influence of that to where it, it can actually make somebody a, a kind of a demonic entity. Uh, even my roommate has uh, told me tales of uh, the Navajo Reservation. There's something called the Yanni. It's supposed to be like a half half man or woman and werewolf cut type of thing. It's supposed to be very hairy and apparently can possess your loved ones or mimic them and pretend that it is them. So it's kind of creepy. For me, I've never seen one. I've been on the res many a times in the reservation and never seen one. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I went hunting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's there's one creature that I find fascinating from folklore, too, of the skinwalker. Mm-hmm. And apparently, and this is the thing that I I find suitably creepy about the, the myth and the legend, is that apparently the skinwalker that's able to take the form of something else is able to do it except it will always have one trait that it can't quite mimic correctly. So it might be like a, a coyote 
who has like a uh, a lake that's compromised, like a uh, like a a gimped lake, so to say, or it might mm-hmm. be a bird that doesn't fly quite right. And you one would imagine that this was like folklore to describe or to warn people about maybe something like rabies and, and mammals. Like if an animal's not quite acting right, it could have been their way of ascribing uh, something like a disease in, in a way that they could understand. But just the idea of knowing that there's something out there and because it's not quite right and you have to know, you have to look for the trait, like you have to notice it, that it requires like an active conscious analysis of the thing. So you have to actually examine the thing that you're scared of to see if it is the thing that you're scared of. And, and knowing that you have to look at it to find the detail, forcing you to confront it, I think there's some sort of like a wonderful fear factor about that. Mm-hmm. Especially when it's right in front of you. Right. That, that, that does not sound like a fun thing to do. No. <laughs> there's a video game series called Fatal Frame, where the objective to like capture or, or dispel these ghosts is that you have to take pictures of them using this special film that's supposed to capture spirits. So, by nature of that, when, you know, normally when you're, you see something that's scary, your your initial response is fight or flight, and you, you would try to run from something, and, and not look at it, and just, you know, avoid it. But in a setting where the only way to like, dispel a ghost is to take a picture of it, again, you're forced to look at and confront the thing that you're afraid of, which amplifies the horror. And I, I think, again, with like something like the Skinwalker stories, that is something that makes that, that legend, that myth, so so scary to me. Mm-hmm. We covered a lot of ground here with scary stuff, though. It does. Any other stories or myths or things that are on your guys' mind? Well, because I work for the, the uh, Point Pleasant Chamber of Commerce, I, <laughs> I don't, but I... I needed to, to also let you guys know that um, as we were talking talking about um, uh, the Native American uh, situation as well and in Point Pleasant and there there was a situation with uh, Chief Cornstalk which w- did not go well obviously because yeah America had some issues back in the day and uh, so some people believe that the folklore of the Mothman has to do with what happened with Chief Cornstalk and there's a whole uh, mural in Point Pleasant that kind of depicts what happened and definitely go check that out too and it's pretty haunted. Yeah, that's actually a good uh, starting point for that whole that whole theory of the Mothman. I'll agree. But we did cover you know, quite a few stories there from uh, folklore to things that have actually happened to us. I mean, I've had terrible things happen that were more real-life horror that are things like, you know, I had a tragic occurrence where an uncle of mine was working as a carpenter, and he was working on the roof of a house, and the company that was in charge of electric, or the electric company for that area, didn't turn off power to that section of the grid as they were working on things, as they were doing the construction. And as he was on the roof, like, doing things with the roofing tiles, hammering them into place, and his hammer struck the power line that was above him and he was electrocuted to death. It's a kind of real life horror that you don't uh, you don't like to see or think about and uh, you know it's not paranormal in any way, but it doesn't make it any less horrifying to, to think about that happening. You know, the time where my brothers and I were attacked and almost 
engulfed in a swarm of bees by a matter of seconds that we managed to like get out of the way when we were playing in a swimming pool and it was located near a tree and the tree unbeknownst to us had a hive that had been constructed in it and all of a sudden we hear this this noise this and it, it sounded at first we didn't pay any mind it sounded like something was going on but as it increased in loudness we thought is there like something going on in the road? Like, because it sounded almost like um, a construction vehicle of some sort was so loud. And one of my brothers is turning around in the pool and we just hear him scream. And we look at him screaming and all of a sudden we see this, uh, what I can only describe as a black cloud starting to emanate from the tree. And we see it's a swarm of bees. And so we all just start jumping out of the side of the pool because unfortunately the ladder to get into this above ground pool was next to the tree. So you couldn't use the ladder because it would you'd have to swim towards the bees to get to the ladder. <laughs> oh, so we man. all have to jump out of the side and I'm struggling to get out of the pool because, you know, it's you have to jump you literally have to jump with all your weight to get up out of the pool. And my father is hearing the screaming and he just comes out like, you know, coming out of the house like, What the fuck are you guys holy shit as he sees the the swarm of bees and him being deathly afraid of them mm-hmm. was just standing out there and being like get the fuck out of the pool get the fuck out of the pool and I'm struggling to get out and I don't see him race and try to help me out of the pool mind you <laughs> God bless his you know God bless dad's heart he's passed away since 20, 2014 but uh, dad I didn't see you fucking rushing to get me out of the pool so you know, <laughs> fuck you dad uh, <laughs> anyway I did eventually get out of the pool uh, before the swarm got to me. It may, maybe this was the adrenaline rush, because I could see the swarm expanding in the tree. And I get out of the side, and I run up to the door, get in the house, and after we're all in, Dad closes the door and locks it. Now, mm. I first thought you might not... That might not sound unusual or funny, but I want people to think about that again. There's, and he's locking... He's locking the door... Because there's a swarm of bees outside. <laughs> I don't know if Dad thought bees could somehow undo a closed door. Like they're the raptors from Jurassic Park or something. Yeah, I mean, they could adapt. You never know. <laughs> but that was the thing that always got me. Because even, even with all that like adrenaline and, and a fear racing through me, I was like, thinking to myself, did he just... He just locked the fucking door? <laughs> uh, yeah, he did. I was going to say, I think that he was, he was maybe, let's just think about it this way, he's locking the door to make sure that uh, that his children wouldn't go outside again. I think the lock was right there, but you just undo the lock. I mean, I don't it's, know. Not like we, it's not like we were like four or five and six years old. I mean, I was like a, you know, 15, years, 15 years old or so. But well, I just, maybe we should try you. <laughs> I think he was just in panic mode. He's like, shit, gotta lock the door. Can't let the, can't let the bees get in. But uh, I'll never forget seeing that, that swarm, that mass of, of, of noise and movement. Uh, you, you cannot imagine how loud a swarm of bees is that's, that's scared. But it makes sense from a, a natural defense mechanism point. Because loud noise scares animals. So that loud noise is meant to be a defense mechanism, but you would never imagine how loud it is until you're right next to it, like literally feet from it. And we, eventually they call it, we called an exterminator to get the hive out. And again, same thing, when he went to the hive, 
Obviously, he's dressed up in beekeeper outfit, but you could just see the swarm starting again. And Dad had, you know, of course, locked the door before the <laughs> as the beekeeper came. And the, the beekeeper's coming up to the house to let us know that we have, you know, there's a hive up there. And Dad's just, like, behind, like, two doors, a screen door and, like, the window of another door. He's like, no fucking shit! <laughs> and he's just like, you know, no, stay back there, stay back there. He's just deathly afraid of this guy who's got bees still attached to him, like on his suit, coming up to the door. Dad just wants none of it. So yeah, yeah. I had a, I actually had a friend do that too in a backyard once. That it was my friend's house, but his bigger brother came over to get rid of a beehive, and he just like put on you know like three jackets, three pairs of pants. He already had Doc Martin boots, so he was good there, and he taped them up and everything. And but he had nothing for his head. And so they went into my friend's closet, and they're like, well, we need something to protect your head. So, And I didn't know this. I wasn't there until he was already out back swarming bees around him. But I go I go over, and he's, he's like, hey, look at this. And he opens up the blinds, and it's just his older brother walking around with a beehive in his hand. And he's wearing a Darth Vader mask <laughs> to protect his head. <laughs> Covered in all these jackets. It's like 110-degree weather in Phoenix. <laughs> and he's just carrying this beehive to the trash, ready to stomp it out. <laughs> it was one of the b- most bizarre things ever. <laughs> uh, oh, I can just imagine that you open up the window and just hear the Imperial March playing from Empire Strikes Back, and this guy in a Darth Vader mask carrying a beehive, swarm of bees around him, dressed in th- three layers of jackets. <laughs> What is your bidding, thy bee? <laughs> it's, if that would if it were done today, that would be a meme. Like that, you'd have that running around on Twitter. Seriously. Speaking of helmets, th- that reminds me of something I have to my brother Adam. This is why he's afraid of insects. So when he was younger, he had a four wheeler, and he's going to go get on the four wheeler. And obviously, being safe, he goes to get a helmet, and so he finds his helmet in the garage or a helmet in the garage. I don't know if it was his or not, but it was somebody's helmet in our garage. Or shed. It was a shed. And he goes to put on the helmet, and apparently he feels something weird. It feels like there's something on him. And he takes off the helmet to see what it is, and there's hundreds of baby spiders in the helmet. Oh. He had ruptured the egg sack. And now there's hundreds of baby spiders swarming around him. So he does what I feel is the most logical thing, and he rips off the helmet, and he runs and he jumps into the swimming pool to try to get all of the spiders off of him. And to this day, he remains afraid of insects, and I will say, of all things that could cause a fear of insects, I think he has a valid fear going on there. I think that is a perfectly valid reason to develop a fear of insects. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, they actually, the first time I actually saw a um, brown recluse spider in here in Arizona, it was a mother that had babies on its back. And my mom was all like, you know, giddy about it. Like, look, check it out. And I'm like, no, this is, uh-uh. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> That's one of the dangerous spiders with the with the powerful venom bites. Oh, yeah. If anyone doesn't know about a brown recluse, like, if if they bit you on the arm, let's say, it would be an open, obsessed wound that would take about half a year to heal. That's how bad they are. 
horrible. Yeah, and my grandmother, <laughs> bless her heart, uh, my nana Janie, last time I was at her ranch here in Arizona, she saw one in the sink uh, that was they have in like their little warehouse there where they keep all their tractors and everything. And she just reached down, grabbed it, smushed it, and threw it in the trash. <laughs> wow. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Is your grandmother, like, secretly Steve Irwin? She's awesome. <laughs> I, I do not like insects myself. Never been a fan of them. Possibly the swarm of bees might have something to do with that. Uh, and being yeah. inches away from a massive swarm of insects. Hey, I think that's fair. I do, too. Well, I guess on that kind of happier note, we had a good discussion of things that were scary that happened to us. I had had funnier, scary things happen. To keep with the vibe of Halloween and, and fear, I think I'll hold those for another day. But I want to thank everybody. I thank you, Zayer, and thank you, Stefan, as always, for being part of this. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was nice to find a breath of levity after we told scariness. Yeah, I always have to end with something... A little bit more lighthearted, but we would like to, at some point in time, hear stories from all of you about things that have happened that you feel up to sharing. Because obviously, there's there could be horrifying things that you don't want to recount, and we obviously do not want to pry any of that out of you. But if there's any scary stories that you would like to share that have happened to you, then leave it here in the comment section. And also, we could do a follow up to this at some point in time if you feel like having your stories read by us and discussed. Uh, let us know and give your permission, because obviously we'll, we will not read anything without your consent. So if there is something that you feel like would be good fodder for another podcast that you'd like us to read the comments on, then please do so. And you can also email me at thecriticalandroid at gmail.com. So you can leave whole stories there if you want to, or you can tweet to me at criticalandroid. Stefan, how can they get a hold of you, my friend? cyberpunk holiday on instagram if you really want to send me a message and let me know i can give you my email as well but uh until then i'll just stay on instagram all right and then zayer thank you very much again for joining and uh lending some of your stories to the proceedings yeah well this was a really really interesting discussion thanks for having me you're quite welcome so we'll have more content coming up here as we approach halloween and beyond it's uh, obviously sharing stories like this around a campfire, whether virtual or figurative, is one of those wonderful things about the human experience that's been passed on for, for generations. And I do strongly recommend, if you ever get the chance, to just hang out with family or friends after COVID dies down and it's easier to be together. Sometimes it's nice to just turn off the technology and just enjoy the company of others. So when we talk about whether or not to keep some of these crypts that we unearth open or closed conversation and interaction with those that you love or those who you just share a common bond with is something we always recommend that you keep open. But for now, from all of us here at the Crypt to all of you out there, the Crypt is closed. Mm-hmm.